0: Good morning, family of God. It is good to be in his presence uh, and in yours. This morning, we're going to kick off a new series of messages. This will be a five part series that will begin today. And uh, the the theme for the series is the cross. Christ sacrifice our hope. So that's the theme for all five messages. I'll begin today. And then Pastor John will continue the series next week and the week after. And then Pastor Marcus will conclude the series on Palm Sunday weekend and then Easter Sunday. So let's take a look at the beginning of the suffering that Jesus endured leading up to the cross by going to Matthew chapter 26. If you'll stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all write about the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll read Matthew primarily just to get a full glimpse into all that took place in the garden. And then we'll make reference to what Luke shared in his gospel. Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my cup is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, my father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy and he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. You may be seated. Today we want to kick off this sermon series by looking at lessons from a garden. And Jesus is coming to the end of a three and a half year ministry. And if you'll think back to the River Jordan, that was the commencement of his ministry. And he ministered through the teaching that God had laid on his heart. He ministered by performing various acts of compassion and kindness uh, towards others. And now his ministry would reach a climax to this point. Here in the garden that would ultimately lead him to the cross. And so in the garden, there's several lessons that we can learn from Jesus. And I want to highlight four of them. And the first lesson is found in verse 20, uh, verse 38 of Matthew 26. Jesus says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And then in verse 41, he says, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The first lesson that we learn from Jesus in the garden is when I am weak, I should pray that I do not fall. When I am weak, I should pray that I do not fall. Fall. Now, Jesus enters the garden with all 12 of his disciples, but he takes Peter, James and John and he goes a little bit further and he says to them that my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Now, they had never heard Jesus speak like this before, that he was deeply grieved to the point of death. And obviously they couldn't understand where this was coming from. And uh, so they themselves were troubled and Um, Luke says that they were full of sorrow because of uh, Jesus and uh, his mood at that time. And so there's a lesson that we can learn from Jesus here in the garden. And it's that during those times of great uh, pressure, stress, um, that we live in a place of vulnerability because of that weakness and it's in those times that we should watch and pray lest we fall into sin. And so let's look uh, at Luke chapter 22, what he writes about Gethsemane. Luke chapter 22. He says in verse 40 to his disciples before he begins to pray, he says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he says the same thing at the end of his praying. He's already prayed three times. And it says in verse 46, get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So Jesus is saying this more than once, demonstrating how important it is that they pray and Notice what happens right after Jesus says these words. It says in verse 47 of Luke 22, while he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came and one called Judas, one of the 12 was preceding them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was going to happen. They said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. So again, Jesus tells them to watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation because he knew what was coming for his disciples. He knew that his suffering physically was about to begin and in that time of weakness and sorrow, that they would be tempted to sin. And sure enough, as Judas and the others show up at the garden, uh, one of them asked the question, as they see Jesus being uh, seized, they asked the question, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And before Jesus could answer, one of them, many believed to be Peter, uh, struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Now, obviously, he wasn't going for his right ear. He was going to kill him to try and uh, chop off his head if he could. But he missed uh, his head and sliced off his ear. And so in that moment, the disciples were tempted because they saw Jesus being seized. And because they were sleeping earlier when Jesus told them to watch out, they fell here. They fell into sin and did something that Jesus told them not to do. And he says in verse 51, after Peter struck with the sword. He says, stop no more of this. So he's telling his disciples not to bring harm to anyone because of what was taking place. But the disciples were sleeping. They were resting. Their eyes were heavy and they weren't praying as Jesus had instructed them to do. And so we learn a lesson that it's during times of weakness that we are vulnerable to sin, that we are more likely to fall into some form of sin. And we know that to be true in Jesus' ministry at the end of his ministry here in the garden and even at the beginning of his ministry. You remember that uh, after he was baptized in the River Jordan, he comes out of the river. And what happens next? He fasts for the next 40 days and he refrains from food and, and drink. And then when he comes out of that fast, guess who's waiting for him? Satan himself. Satan is waiting and he tempts him three times and Jesus counters all three of those temptations through the word of God. But Satan saw it as an opportunity because Jesus was physically weak. And it's in that place of weakness that Satan saw that he could perhaps get Jesus to fall into sin and to follow him. But thank God that his father had given him the grace that he needed in that moment of weakness So that he could fulfill uh, and resist the temptation of uh, Satan. And so it's in times of weakness that you and I should pray that we should watch ourselves and pray that God would give us grace, that God would give us the strength during our time of weakness. Some of us, we've gone through uh, various situations and we may be in a relationship that's just broken up. And we feel a sense of great emotional weakness. We should watch and pray, Jesus would say to us. Some of us are physically drained and burnt out from our jobs. We work a job that's very demanding. We put in 60 and 80 hours a week and we work six or seven uh, days a week and we are physically burnt out. And Jesus would say to you, To watch and to pray so that you do not fall because Satan will look for opportunities to tempt us uh, when we are weak. And Jesus gives us a very important word in those times of weakness that we should watch and pray so that we remain strong in the face of temptation. So that's the first lesson that we learned from Jesus here in the garden. The second lesson. Is found in verse 42 of Luke 22. Jesus begins to pray and he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. The second lesson here in the garden is I must sacrifice my own will to do God's will. Jesus models for us in verse 42 that I must sacrifice my own will to do God's will. Clearly, in the garden, Jesus had a will. He had a desire to avoid this cup of suffering. It's not something that he looked forward to. That was his will, but he knew that, that he had a greater will, the will of his father, that he wanted to fulfill. And in order to do that, he had to sacrifice his will and say, thy will be done. Look at John chapter six. This is the way Jesus lived his life, not only during his ministry, but during his 33 years here on earth. He always sought to do the will of his father. And in many ways, in verse 38 of John six, we have a mission statement for Jesus. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's what Jesus taught. And that's what he lived out through his life. It was not about his will. He subjected his own will so that he could do the will of his father. Now, think back to uh, another garden in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. There was the Garden of Eden and in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were tempted by uh, a serpent. And in that time, they chose to do their own will where God had given them clear instruction to the contrary. God had told them that you are free to eat from all of the trees of the garden. But this one tree you are not to eat from the tree of life. And in the time of temptation, Eve and then Adam ate from that tree and they were disobedient to God's will in that moment. So that's a garden uh, of Eden at that time. And then here in a second garden in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus again is tempted to do his own will, which is to avoid this cup of suffering. But he decides not my will, but thy will be done. That's the big difference in the new covenant church that we are to as followers of Jesus Christ, not to do our own will, but the will of the Lord. There's a struggle that Jesus entered into here in the garden. We find him praying three times and each time he would uh, voice his will, but subject his will in order to do the will of the father. And in many ways, this struggle that Jesus went to is reflective of what Paul says in Galatians chapter five, where he says the flesh sets itself against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Galatians 517. There's a war that's going on uh, internally. It took place in Jesus in the garden. and It takes place for you and I today. I want to share just a couple of examples of the way in which we can Uh, that struggle can play out in our lives um, uh, as we live. The first is dealing with our enemies. There are people who do harm to us, and our self, our flesh, our self-will is to not do anything good for that person that's brought harm to us. And so our attitude is if you've done Uh, If you don't like me, if you don't love me, then I don't love you. And we don't seek to do good to those who have done wrong to us that have offended us. That's our self will. But what is the will of God? Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We find what God's will is relative to those who have. Brought some form of evil into our lives. Verse 17 of Romans 12. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him and if he is thirsty, give him a drink for in so doing, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the flesh says, I don't want to do anything good for someone who's just hurt me. But God's will is that we do not repay evil for evil. That we respect what is good. God says never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. He says revenge is mine. But oftentimes we feel like the revenge is ours. Again, that's our self-will speaking. And we have to struggle and say not my will, but thy will be done. A second example is in the area of marriage. For those of us who have been married, we can hit those very difficult Uh, times in our marriage and sometimes things can become so difficult that we feel like I can no longer live with this person I've had it up to here with uh, everything about my husband or my wife and I want out for irreconcilable differences and so that's the self-will we say we want out of this marriage but what is God's will go to Malachi chapter 2 Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 2. To see what God's will is regarding marriage. The last part of verse 15. Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. So here we see God is saying, I hate divorce. He can't stand divorce because he brought us together, husband and wife, in a covenant relationship that he's sanctioned and blessed. And so when we decide to dissolve that relationship, we have greatly offended God and his will. And so, again, our flesh says, I want out. But God says, hang in there, stay in there and work through the differences that you are facing. And so we have this this wrestling that takes place uh, in our flesh. And Jesus modeled it for us in the garden when he struggled with um, this cup of suffering that he faced. And so we want to always seek to prevail in those times of suffering and say, not my will, but thy will be done. This is important for us as parents, those of us who have children, particularly small children. It's important that we seek to break the will, the self-will of our children without breaking their spirit, without breaking the, the essence of who they are, their personality. Because as small children, if we don't break their self-will, then as they grow up, they will rege- they will rebel against the authority of their parents and those in the school and in life, it reminds me several years ago, I was in an airport uh, in Boston and I was seated at the terminal waiting to catch my flight. There were several people around and I noticed um, a father and his teenage son. He was probably about 15 years old and I'll never forget what my eyes witnessed. Um, this father gave a clear instruction to his son to do something. I can't remember what it was, but he told his son to do something and his son basically didn't do it. And his father a second time told him to do something. And the second time the son stood up and walked away to the gift shop. And the father stood up and walked away following his son into the gift shop. And I thought that would have never happened in In my home to disobey my dad and walk away from him. And uh, but this teenage boy got up and walked away from his father. And I'm watching. I wish I had a microphone into the the gift shop to hear what was was going on. But clearly this son uh, was disobeying the instruction that his dad had given him to do. And it made me think that as a small boy, that father failed in breaking the self-will of his son. And now he has a teenager who's out of control, who disobeys his dad, disobeys his parents, and he will probably go on to uh, disobey the teachers and uh, civil authorities and so on. And so parents are so important that we seek uh, when they're young uh, to break the self-will of our children while preserving uh, the essence of who they are, their personality and their spirit. And I seek to do this with my children. Uh, We have spent some time looking at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, not my will, but thy will be done. And so we have the the the, uh, this saying when any of the kids seek to do something that their mother or father uh, has told them to do, if they seek to do something else, uh, I'll be quick to say. And we use hand gestures. We'll say not my will, but thy will be done. And kids get that, and as soon as they see Thy will be done, they'll say, "Okay, Dad. Okay, Mom." And then they'll go ahead and do what they were supposed to do. When I was a kid, if my dad told me to do something, he had a different hand gesture. His hand gesture was not Thy will be done, but he went to the belt. And uh, and I said, "Okay, Dad. I'll uh." I'll humble myself and sacrifice my will to do your will. But this is one of the conditions of discipleship. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, he must first deny himself and then take up his cross daily and then come after me. And so the, per- the first part of following Jesus requires that we deny self. That we deny our self-will. And this is what Jesus has modeled for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so this is our second lesson that we can learn. The third lesson comes from Luke chapter 22. If you'll go back to the book of Luke. In verse 44. Luke 22, verse 44 And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. If Jesus had done his will, which was to avoid this cup of suffering, he would have sinned. But he resisted doing his self-will so much that his sweat became like drops of blood. And so the third lesson that we learn from Jesus here is I should strive against sin in my life. I should strive against sin in my life. For more insight into this, go to Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12. Verse four says you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Now, that word strive is a very strong word. It means to exert oneself vigorously, to try hard, to contend in opposition or to battle. And so we are to, in essence, battle against sin. The lusts of our flesh against our self-will. And Jesus did so in that garden so much so that his sweat became like drops of blood. And so clearly Jesus was resisting doing uh, his self-will, which would have been to commit a sin, a most grievous uh, of, of sin. And uh, and he resisted it to the point of shedding uh Uh, His blood there in the garden. And now one of the questions that we should ask ourselves is what was it that created such agony for Jesus? What was it that was so dreadful for him? And for many years, I used to think that it was the physical torture that he was about to endure being flogged uh, to a point where he was unrecognizable, having a, a crown of thorns. Uh, placed upon his head and then ultimately going to the cross and being nailed uh, to a cross and left there for several hours uh, to die. I used to think that was the reason why Jesus was in such agony and turmoil in the garden. But I heard a sermon from Brother Zach Poonin that explains it a different way. And the way that he shared it really resonated with my spirit. And he talked about the fact that when you think of Jesus, He's fully man, but he's also fully God. And so he shares all the attributes of deity, one of which is he's existed from all uh, past uh, all eternity in the past. And so Jesus was present with God, the father and God, the Holy Spirit way back there. And here in the garden, he realized that in order for us to be saved, in order for. Him to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, that he would have to take on the sins of all of humanity. And to do that, he knew that fellowship with his father would have to be broken fellowship that he enjoyed from all eternity past. Imagine that, that Jesus enjoyed perfect union and fellowship with his father from all eternity past and during his earthly life for thirty three and a half years. He knew that he had perfect fellowship and union with his father. But on the cross, he would have to give that up. And that's why Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for those last three hours, uh, he went to hell when all of the sins uh, of all of humanity came on him. His father turned away from him. He couldn't even look at him and fellowship was broken. And that's what Jesus was agonizing over in the garden. If Jesus decided not to go through this uh, suffering, he would have sinned. He would not have been the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And you and I would still be lost in our sins today. And so Jesus clearly had free will, but he worked so much and battled so much against his flesh that his sweat became like drops of blood uh, as an indication of how much he was resisting his self-will. And so what does that mean for you and I in terms of uh, the, the things that we face, the sins that we're tempted with? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. We see the example again that Jesus models for us. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And so it's easy to say, well, Jesus was 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 God. So it was easy for him to resist all temptation in his life. But he was a man uh, just like we are. He was a human being. And so he faced. All the temptations that you and I have faced. Uh, and he resisted every single one of them and sought to reject his own will so that he could do the will of his father in heaven. And so look at first Peter chapter four. Peter says it another way. First Peter chapter 4 Peter says therefore since Christ has suffered in the flesh arm yourselves also with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men but for the will of God. And so Jesus when we think about the suffering that took place in his flesh. Again, it's easy to think about the last 24 hours where he suffered physically. But the reality is that none of us, he says, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. The reality is that none of us should expect to endure that same kind of suffering. None of us are going to be tortured the way Jesus was. And so what does that mean? It means that Jesus, uh, as we saw him praying, he suffered in his flesh. He suffered to reject uh, what his flesh was calling him to do. And this was something that he endured throughout his life. And he was constantly working against the flesh in order to do the will of his father. And it says, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. As we struggle, as we battle, as we strive against the, the, the temptations of the flesh. And we say, no, I don't want to do what my flesh is calling me to do, but what the will of God has called me to do, then we can cease from sin. Now, we know that uh, we're imperfect beings and uh, we know that we will continue to sin. But the point here is that this should be our attitude, that we wrestle in our flesh so that we can avoid sin uh, each and every time. It happens. And as we practice this way in our lives more and more doing the will of God, we will find ourselves committing sin less and less and less. And the Holy Spirit will continue to bring forth the sins that we're not conscious of. uh, And even then we will repent and seek to sin less. And so when we see how much Jesus battled his flesh. To avoid sin, we, too, should strive to avoid uh, committing sin. Some of us have to strive against the sin of pornography. Some of us have to work very hard and say, Lord, I need help here to avoid going to this pornographic website. Some of us have to say, no, I don't want to go and purchase this magazine or this pornographic movie. Some of us have to strive against the love of money. We're buying books and seeking to accumulate riches and and wealth. Uh, But Jesus clearly and the scriptures clearly talk about not loving money. Some of us have to strive against uh, unforgiveness. Well, where someone has brought some level of harm into our lives and we find it very difficult to forgive that person because of how much they hurt us. But God's will is that we would give others because he's forgiven us of so much. We have to strive against sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is all forms of sex outside of marriage, the covenant relationship that God uh, blesses and sanctions. And so we have to strive against sin. And Jesus sets the example for us in the garden when he sought to avoid doing his own will. The fourth and final lesson that we learn from. Jesus in the garden is really taking a look at the entire scene in this garden and recognizing this, that Gethsemane illustrates the depth of Jesus' love for me. Gethsemane illustrates the depth of his love, Jesus' love for you and I. We just talked about the fact that Jesus was in great agony, not because of the physical Punishment and torture that awaited him, but because he had to give up the most valuable thing uh, to him, which was fellowship with his father for three hours in order to save us. And Friday and as I was preparing for this message, I was uh, in a library in Mountain View and I was reading uh, the accounts of the Garden of Gethsemane and I just thought A moment for several moments about all that Jesus gave up. And and I thought of how precious. And how much he valued fellowship with his father, and yet he was willing to give that up for me and for all of us. And as I thought about it, I couldn't help but become overcome with emotions. My my eyes began to well up and I just sat with that for several moments thinking, wow. He paid such a price in order to save me. And so. Something that we should do, brothers and sisters, is never lose the sense of wonder of awe, that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was willing to give up so much in order to save us. Remember, it may not seem like a whole lot, but Jesus had perfect fellowship with his father for all eternity and he knew that in order to save us, he would have to give that up. Something so precious. People have given me gifts and I've greatly appreciated them. And I've always uh, felt grateful for the time and the money and the creativity that people uh, express in the gifts that they've given me. But those gifts pale in comparison to the gift of salvation that Jesus made available for us by giving up by giving up something that was so precious to him which was fellowship with his father that's a wonderful illustration of love the depth of the love that Jesus has for us and so brothers and sisters we should never lose sight we should never forget how much Jesus gave up when it was time for him to go to the cross there was so much at stake in that garden our salvation weighed in the balance, victory over death, victory over sin, victory over hell. All of these things were at stake. And remember, Jesus had free will. He could have said, "Up, oh, I'm not going to do this. It's too much for me to bear. I don't want to do the physical uh, punishment uh, that I'm going to do. And I certainly don't want to give up fellowship with my father. And so I'm not going to do it. But if he had done that, he would have Destroy, left our souls uh, wanting salvation and we wouldn't have the uh, joy of knowing God for ourselves today. And so we should never lose that sense of awe. In essence, Jesus gave up everything for us. And think about it. Jesus paid this price in order to save all of us and all of uh, the church in the world today. But there are billions of people. Who've never become Christians. And yet Jesus paid that price for them as well. Think about that. That is love. I mean, I would take a bullet for my, for my wife. For my children. But would I take a bullet for someone that I didn't know? Someone I've never met before? And yet Jesus did that for us. That's an amazing love. Words cannot express. Words cannot express the depth of Jesus love for us that we see modeled by him here in the garden. Amen. With great gifts come great sacrifice. We can't give everything as Jesus did in the garden, but we can certainly give more. We can certainly sacrifice more as we seek to express Our love for one another. Look at what Jesus gives as his new commandment for us. Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Verse 34. Jesus says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the new commandment that Jesus gives us. The old commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus says the new commandment is that you love one another, even as I have loved you. And Jesus modeled that love for us in the garden when he prayed three times and said, not my will, but your will be done. And he willingly went through the physical torture and then on the cross gave up three hours of something that was so precious for him in order to save you and I. And so we can't give up everything that Jesus did in the way that he did. But one of the questions that I've been asking myself in the past several days that I would ask you to ask yourself is this. What more can I give to love the body of believers? What more can I give to express my love for other Christians? What more can I do? What more can I sacrifice to say to my brothers and sisters that I love them? Brothers and sisters. Again, words. Uh, Aren't enough to express the depth of Jesus love for us. We simply receive it by faith and then we seek to honor a life that honors his sacrifice that he gave so much for us as the price for our salvation to God be the glory.